the information presented in this podcast is of a general nature and is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only. It should never be used as a substitute for mental care, medical care, prevention, diagnosis, counseling, treatment, or other services. Always consult a mental health professional before engaging in any activities discussed in this podcast. Thank you for listening. Have you ever wished for magical powers? Do you still await your Hogwarts acceptance letter? Well, welcome to Hogwarts. You are magical. And this is your invitation to join us in exploring the psychology behind the most magical series, Harry Potter. Welcome to Harry Potter Therapy. Hello, you magical people out there, and welcome to Harry Potter Therapy. I am your host, Dustin McGinnis. I am a musician, filmmaker, and all-around fanboy. And I am Dr. Janina Scarlett. I'm a clinical psychologist, author, and a full-time witch. Today, we are going to be covering Chapter 9, The Midnight Duel. This chapter is so wonderful in so many ways for me. If there were any doubts that Harry and Draco would be bitter enemies, this chapter resolves them doubts pretty quickly. The chapter begins with J.K. Rowling writing that Harry never believed he would hate a boy more than Dudley. Enter Draco Malfoy. It seems Harry always has to have this opposition. Why do you think this is? I think in general, in writing, for every hero there must be a villain or an anti-hero of some kind or, or some kind of an opposing force. I think for Harry and Draco specifically, they tend to represent completely different sets of values. I think that Draco comes from a family where he's used to being the best. He's used to being the center of attention. And we see that from the crew that he has chosen. He's chosen Crab and Goyle as his cronies, essentially, because he can easily be their leader. He can manipulate them. He can tell them what to do. Not every single Slytherin follows Draco around the way that Crab and Goyle do and the way that Pansy Parkinson does. Draco is the kind of person that needs that level of admiration. So I think when he sees Harry getting the kind of attention that he was hoping for, that he's used to, it naturally makes him envious. And I think that he is willing to do anything he can to get attention, whether it's by making fun of Neville or whether it's by making fun of Harry himself. Do you think that bullying and discrimination kind of evolve from jealousy? I think in some cases they can, absolutely. I think that when one person might feel threatened by another individual, they might feel inferior to that individual and as a result may sometimes resort to bullying as a way of putting down that person, as a way of trying to alleviate the threat. Unfortunately, a lot of times this backfires because the bully is often then seen as a jerk. So what we're seeing here is we're seeing that kind of behavior in Draco. I think that in his jealousy of Harry now getting all the attention, not just from the students, but also from the teachers, with the exception of Snape, a lot of teachers do favor Harry 
I think that Draco is trying to do everything possible to make Harry and his friends look foolish so that he, Draco, can then be the center of the spotlight and can look better in other people's eyes and his opinion. Well, we'll come back to Draco here in a little bit because this chapter does revolve around them a lot. This chapter introduces another fascinating magical object, the Remember-All. Hey, look, Neville's got a Remember-All. I've read about those. When the smoke turns red, it means you've forgotten something. The only problem is, I can't remember what I've forgotten. I'm curious what your interpretation of this object is. You know, once again, I, I don't know exactly what J.K. Rowling had intended for as far as the significance or the metaphor for this object. But to me, as a psychologist reading it, I immediately thought of a compass, kind of like what we saw in Shazam, you know, a compass being used as a reminder of what we may have forgotten of our direction, perhaps a sense of direction. And so for Neville, someone who's really forgetful, the rememberal may serve as a reminder that he had forgotten something as a gentle reminder. Hey, keep mindful and keep things that are important to you close to you. Neville also has a really traumatic story in that his parents were tortured by Voldemort's people, by the little strangers, actually, so much so that they had lost their memory. And I'm wondering if his grandma had perhaps given Neville the remember-all as a way of maybe protecting him in some ways from the Lestranges as a way of reminding him, hey, don't forget what's really important to you. I don't know precisely what the writing process was like behind creating this magical artifact, but I thought it was really powerful because I think it allows Neville to remember what's important to him and to be mindful of things that are meaningful. When Neville receives the remember all, Draco immediately just starts making fun of him. And it's quite an interesting chapter because there are many classmates who come to Neville's defense when he's being bullied by Draco. But there are also those who come to Draco's defense and laugh and support all of his insults. What can this say about companionship and support? I think that whenever we witness some kind of a public situation, whether it's a public tragedy or a bullying incident like this one, we have several choices as bystanders, as witnesses of this kind of behavior. One choice is to do nothing, to be a bystander. And in fact, a lot of individuals, when they're in a crowd full of people, when they witness some kind of a situation unfold, even if it's an emergency, even if they're seeing somebody having a heart attack, for example, or being beaten up, might freeze. This is called the bystander effect. And the bystander effect says that when we're in a crowd of people, we're likely to wait for somebody else to take a stand. We're likely to wait for somebody else to act. And the more people there are, the less likely we are to do something. So we're seeing that to an extent. We're seeing some people just standing around and watching Draco picking on Neville. And we're, we're seeing Draco trying to play with the remember all after Neville is taken to the hospital wing. And then we also see other people jumping to Neville's defense, as you mentioned, Parvati being one of them. The bystander effect actually says that if one person, at least one person, jumps in to help, the rest of the people are likely to follow. And so what we learn from this is be a leader, not a follower. Be the kind of person that takes that step, like Parvati Patil, like Harry, like Ron, 
jump to somebody's defense, then other people are likely to follow suit. And so, in fact, when Parvati stands up for Neville, other Gryffindors stand up for him as well. And Pansy Parkinson sticks up for Draco. Absolutely. And I think with Pansy and Draco, we're seeing this kind of relationship unfold throughout the books where it seems as though she likes him. I think they might have dated or had feelings for each other. At the very least, it seems like she had feelings for him. It seems like she's one to jump to his defense at every chance that she gets, maybe even faster than Crab and Goyle might. This could be her sense of protectiveness over the person that she cares about. It could be her own perception of what she believes is the right thing to do. But to me, it comes off as, again, another extension of bullying behavior because she doesn't just stand up for Draco, she makes fun of Parvati for standing up for Neville. So I actually think that in case of Pansy Parkinson, we are seeing an extension of bullying behavior, not so much the bystander effect, but an extension of bullying, kind of siding with Draco in the bullying behavior. In this chapter, we get to see one of the coolest events that is a classic witch thing, and that's riding on a broomstick. Welcome to your first flying lesson. Well, what are you waiting for? Everyone step up to the left side of their broomstick. Come on now, hurry up. Stick your right hand over the broom and say, up. It's so interesting to me because some people are born with natural gifts. And Harry, for example, is natural when it comes to flying on his broom. What can this say about instinctive abilities? We all might have things that we're either naturally good at something or naturally enjoy more than other things. And for some people, it might be certain sports and for others, it might be music. Like for you, for example, I know music comes naturally Mm -hmm. to you. For other people, it might be writing or video games or certain other activities. When we engage in an activity that is meaningful to us, an activity that we maybe have, if not a mastery of, but maybe a kind of a an inclination toward something that we're predisposed to be good at, we might experience a sense of this endorphin-like excitement. In fact, when we participate in this activity for a while, we might experience what's called flow. And flow is a kind of almost like this creative bliss that can occur when we're truly engaged when we're fully connected to that activity that we are really passionate about. So for me, for example, that feeling of flow comes when I'm in the middle of writing and I'm almost taken to another world. And I know for you, it probably comes up a lot when you're creating music, when you're writing music. And I think for Harry, the literal flow here was flying. And so when he was able to recognize that he's naturally good at flying, he experienced this sense of joy because he was receiving his own internal reinforcement for what he was meant to do. And it was really exciting to see him discovering his own superpower in a sense. Let's go back to Draco and the remember all because he steals the remember all for the second time in this chapter. And the interesting thing is Harry doesn't hesitate to play the hero and retrieve it regardless of the consequences. Did you see his face? Maybe if the fat lump had given this a squeeze, he would remember to fall on his fat ass. <laughs> Give it here, Malfoy. No. I think I'll leave it somewhere for long bottom to find. 
What's the matter, Potter? Bit beyond your reach. Harry, no way. You heard what Madame Hoop said. Besides, you don't even know how to fly. What an idiot. Give it here, Malfoy, or I'll knock you off your broom! Is this type of altruism heroic, or is Harry acting with an obligation to his parents' memory and the need to own up to defeating the Dark Lord, or be a hero? He, he almost has this obligation. According to the empirical research-based definition for heroism, heroism means standing up for the rights of others, despite any kind of consequences, physical or biological or social, that might come from those kinds of actions or basically taking a step to protect someone else regardless of the consequences. And sometimes that means making that split second decision the way that Harry does and jumping in and protecting someone or, or protecting Neville's property in this case. So according to the research-based definition of heroism, that would be exactly what Harry did. It is this kind of heroism that might cause people to jump on the train tracks to protect the person that might have fallen on the train tracks and is having a seizure, for example. Many individuals who risk their life to help somebody else, unless they've had extensive training, like firefighters, for example, or paramedics, will often say that they didn't have time to decide. They just felt compelled. They just went on instinct, boom. They went on instinct. They just felt compelled to help. And in fact, I think the more we think, the more we hesitate. People who are more inclined to be heroic are less likely to take time to think and are more likely to be impulsive, which can be advantageous, but can also be dangerous at times. So Draco also later challenges Harry to a kind of wizard duel. It's at 12 o'clock. The midnight duel is the name of the chapter. Again, Harry immediately accepts this challenge, even though he doesn't really know what it entails. Again, his actions can result in extreme consequences. His behavior is very reckless, and Draco doesn't even show up later that night. Is there a thin line between heroism and ignorance? I think there's a thin line between heroism and impulsivity. And I think that's what we're seeing in Harry's behavior. I think we're seeing a lot of impulsivity, for better or worse. I think when Draco challenges Harry to a duel, Harry accepts perhaps because he might think that he has to. I think that this world, Hogwarts, means so much to Harry that I think he's willing to risk anything to be a part of it. Ironically, even if it means getting expelled from it. Fluffy is a truly amazing creature, and we get introduced to this wonderfully rich little character in this three-headed dog. Do you think there's any mythical significance to the use of the three-headed dog in this chapter? Of course, the most notorious three-headed dog in mythology is Cerberus, Hades' dog from the underworld. Although Cerberus is meant to be this big and scary kind of creature, he also has a soft side. And I think that here we're seeing this creature, almost the creature from hell, being this really gentle spirit too, one that is named Fluffy and one that can be serenaded with a flute or another Yeah, seriously, musical. how can something so vicious be named <laughs> Fluffy? <laughs> whether it's irony or whether it's because Hagrid is 
Hagrid. I think that's up for debate, but I think Hagrid can love every creature in the world. I don't think there's a creature he can't love out there. Kind of like Newt's commander. Kind of like Newt's commander. And I think Hagrid probably learned from Newt's books. Fluffy is fluffy possibly because Hagrid has made him lovable. And I imagine Hagrid might have been the one who taught him to fall asleep to music. I'm not sure about that one. Of course, that's just a guess. I think here, Fluffy is meant to represent terror. Something so awful that will easily shred you to pieces should you try to come to the door. Unless, of course, you deserve to enter. Security and protection. Right. I think sometimes these kind of creatures are there to protect our secrets. And so that's very much what Fluffy's trying to do. He's trying to protect the most precious things from falling into the wrong hands. And like Fluffy, we're going to protect our secrets of the next chapter. So tune in next time to Harry Potter Therapy. Again, my name is Dustin McGinnis. You can find me on Twitter at The Valiant Geek. And I am Dr. Janina Scarlet. You can find me on Twitter at Shadow Quill. Take care, everybody, and have a magical day. <laughs>